Welcome to the Not For Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams, your host. This week's guest is a good friend of mine, Charlie Bella from Bella Media. Now, Charlie has been a friend of mine for quite some time now, know him pretty well. He actually, we do a little bit something different with the with the podcast this week. We actually change the range. He actually takes the range and we have a bit of a chat about my experience. We cover off a couple of things. First thing we cover off is how I got involved in the not-for-profit sector and how long I've been involved with it for. We also have a look at some of the trends that I see happening over the next couple of years, particularly the next 12 to 18 months, there's quite a few things happening. And the last thing we look at is just a bit of experiences about what, what works in NFPs from my perspective and also what doesn't work. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. The Not-For-Profit Podcast is brought to you by Platinum Audits for all your auditing needs. If you need any audits done or you need any information, please contact Platinum Audits. Welcome to the Not For Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams, your host, and this week we have a special guest on the show, Charlie Vella from Vella Media. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's my pleasure to be here. Glad to have you on, mate. Just tell us a little bit about Vala Media and what you guys do. Yeah, so I mean, I am, I suppose, behind the scenes, one of the people behind this podcast. So I have a media company. We call ourselves a media company, but in reality, what we do is work with businesses to create podcasts. It's really what we're into. So the whole vision and purpose behind Vela Media is to help business owners have a podcast and then get their message out to a bigger audience. That's it. And that's why I hooked up with you guys as well. We started off with coaching first and then uh, hooked up through the podcast. And that's why a little bit different for, for our guests today, uh, for the listeners today. I'm actually going to hand it over to Charlie. And so what we're going to do is Charlie's actually going to interview me. So you, the listeners and the watchers get out there, can actually get to know me a little bit better. So Charlie, I'm going to hand over to you. You are in control. Ooh, thank you for the reins. I've got this one over from here. Now, I wanted to start with some context on um, why we are doing this and why I think it's such a great idea. Now, Matt contacted me earlier in the week talking about the idea of he wants to be able to share with you guys more about what he's been doing with nonprofits and the sector experience. And the idea was put forward that I could interview him so that he could share some of his wisdom with you. And I've known Matt for a while now, and I think he's got such a vast experience in this space that it makes sense to start sharing this with the world and bringing it out there in a bigger way. So Matt, how I want to open this up, and this is something that I haven't even asked you before, but how did you end up working in the nonprofit space? How did this become your area of expertise? Well, it was really purely by accident, actually. Um, I know the not-for-profit sector, been involved in churches now for 25 years. Um, but what happened is 18 years ago, my father-in-law actually had an auditing business that he was running and needed a new employee. And I was at the stage where I was not doing a lot with my life. I didn't have any real desire to go anywhere or do anything. I was sort of like doing a few jobs here and there. And then he asked me to come on board and with the potential of maybe one day buying the business. So what happened is I did a couple of days training with him, loved the job. So I actually put myself through uni while working full-time in the auditing business. And we actually audited 
back at that stage, we were pretty much purely self-managed super funds and not-for-profit uh, clients, churches, non-for-profit entities and stuff like that. So that's how I actually got started. It was not through, I didn't know whether I was going to enjoy the job, what I was going to be doing, but here I am 18 years later and I still love what I do. What a chance encounter. Like it's something you would often refer to as maybe faith or an encounter that led to something else, but it certainly does suit you, this space. Now, I guess the question to ask is why did you continue working with the nonprofit sector? Because you have taken the reins of this business and you could have gone in any direction. Is it the love of the industry, the people? It's all of the above. Yeah, I, I could have taken the business down to the absolute you know, profit and concentrate all on profit. But for me, it's not about it's not about profit. Yes, I have to make a living, and yes, I have to pay my, my bills. I'm a father. I'm you know a house owner, that sort of thing. But for me, it's about helping. God's put a, a mandate in my heart to to help people and to help churches and to help for the nonprofit sector, and that's really my calling in my life is to get out there and get information out there to help people, and that's what it's what it's all about. That's why I we are focusing on the not-for-profit sector, hence the reason for the, for the podcast, is because in, the, in my business, I want to help people get to their goals faster than what they may be able to think they can do at the moment. It's really interesting that in our conversations, something that's become more apparent to me is how much confusion there is in this space or how much misinformation or how many, um, I mean, some of the sh- stories you've shared, I, I won't necessarily name names, but it's like how many businesses in the non-profit sector are still doing things in a very old school way. How have you approached, I suppose, fixing that and helping people get more accurate information? Well, first of all, it's just a matter of trying to help help people actually negotiate where they are. So a lot of people don't know where to find information, and that's the biggest that's the biggest thing. And I think it's in any industry, not just the not for profit sector, but the not for profit is there's so many there was and there still is there's so many. Uh, fingers in the pie, so to speak, the ATO, ASIC, the ACNC, and then you have the, that's on a national level. Then you have the state levels. So in Queensland, Office of Fair Trading, in Victoria, it's uh, the you know, Victorian Office, General's Office. So it's all these different fingers in the pies. And over time, you learn, I've learned which ones to deal with, how to deal with them, and w- where to get the information from. For somebody who's just entering the not for profit sector or has been involved in the not profit sector for time, they might no bits and pieces, but my job, you know, I feel my job is to help them navigate those paths and to actually get to that level where they know what to look for, where to look for, and how to find that information. Because you get on the ATO website, it is a minefield. And I can tell you, some days you can search for hours and not find it, come back the next day and it's there. I don't know why, but it is. And so if, if I can find, if I can help people find that the information quicker, easier, and then interpret that information again, makes, makes their life simpler. That's, that's what it's about. One of the things I think is very fascinating about your perspective is you've had the opportunity to work with so many nonprofits, like being an auditor as kind of your, you know, your skill set is it's not like you've just seen in your own business is you're constantly looking over the ins and outs of a whole variety of businesses within this space. And um, I believe it's almost like 18 years now you've been working with the nonprofits. But one of the things I'll look at into that question there is that it seems that nonprofits should be scared of the A's, the ATOs, the ASICs, the ACNs, all the A's seem to be coming after the nonprofit sector. Has the nonprofit sector become more complicated? over time since your involvement? 
Yeah, absolutely. It has used to be that it was just purely the ATO. You had to do some basic reporting. If you were proprietary limited, you did have to do ASIC, but there was a certain level. Now, there was that changeover period a couple of years ago, around that 2011-12, I think it was, where ACNC became involved, but there was... Uh, confusion between ACNC and ACIC, who to report to, who not to report to, that sort of thing. And it, it, it did become a minefield, even for me as a, somebody who's dealing with it day in and day out. And But it's, it's becoming less cumbersome, but there's still everyone wants their bit of the pie. Everyone wants, you know, you have to pay for this and you have to pay for that and you have to, you know, and the non-profits are some, you know, non-profits run on an you know, the smell of an oily rag type thing. And when you've got to pay for this and you've got to pay for that, that that's what becomes the problematic and the industries themselves, the, the, the entities themselves don't tell you what, they, what you need to put into in straight words. They might have 15 paragraphs that could be covered in two sentences. And that's where people get confused in that legalistic point of view and legalistic jargon. And that's where my experience says, okay, I can read something and go, okay, this is what you need to do. If you do this, you'll cover it off. So, and, but yeah, the A's are, not the A's are after coming, they're not certainly, they're not coming after us, so to speak. They're there to help, but their helping is not necessarily, and they, and they are bound by government as well. So government is also changing things on a regular basis, which makes it harder as well. So um, it's not the entities themselves that are making it harder. They're just trying to adapt as fast as they can. I think that's a really interesting perspective on like how it all plays into each other. So I'm, I'm curious from your point of view then, when you look at the nonprofit space and, and who you work with is clients, what are the, I suppose, the biggest opportunities and trends they should be looking for in 2020? Well, 2020 is a really good year for the, for the nonprofit because there is a, a few changes coming through. From a reporting point of view, it's, a, it's actually a, it's a bad year because we are being put under more pressure to report. So as of 1 January, most uh, not-for-profits have to do um, regulated reporting in the financial sector. Um, so that's actually going to add a little bit of burden to their reporting and to their financial reporting, particularly to the ACNC. However, that's also a good thing in that they're able to engage professionals and engage people like myself. Not, I'm not trying to sell myself here or anything like that, but take up a, a relationship with their accountant or their auditor and actually grow and build. And that gives them more confidence inside their business and more confidence with what they're doing. So therefore, if they can do that, and the trend, so to speak, is going to be the fundraising side of things. So that's the, the biggest change I see in 2020 is there is money out there to be made or to be had, so to speak. You just got to know where to find it. And it varies state to state. And again, it varies nationally. And that's one of my pet hates is the, the variation, but it's also where you got to know where to look. Mm, it's, re- it's really interesting. Do you think that most nonprofits have a good relationship with their accountant and auditor and they, I suppose, being kept up to date with a lot of this stuff? My clients do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, from what I see and the ones I deal with, yes, they do have a relationship. I, I personally believe that relationship needs to be built even in my circle of clients and circle of because I, I help other non-profits that I'm not that I don't do audits for I don't do accounting for but I advise them or you know they can ring and ask me questions I believe that they need to focus on that more they need to have that professional because we've been my philosophy in life we've all been brought here to do a job we have a, a gifting in our life and do that job now if you have a professional it's like for I look at it my job I'm an auditor I don't do 
you know, I don't do tax. I have a tax person to do that. I trust my tax person. I don't do podcast editing. I have a podcast editor to do that. That's not my calling. So if you're working with your professionals that are around you that are put into, if you put into place, it's going to make your day-to-day job easier and your day-to-day job more compliant. So you, and for, uh, for me as an auditor and for our clients, I won't let them do anything wrong. If I see it, I'll pull it up right then and there as I see it. And therefore, none of us go to jail. <laughs> I think that's a good goal. Let's just all of none of us go to jail as the, as the way to think. Yep. <laughs> yeah. so when we look into, I suppose, to shift gears a little bit here, why did you start a podcast for the non-for-profit space? Why specifically this medium and this niche? For me, there wasn't anything specific out there for the non-for-profit. There was a the little bit, you know, the ACNC had some and they you know, they have a podcast and it touches on basis. But for me, it's about getting the information out there. I'm looking at, for the podcast, I'm looking at the smaller to, I want to cover all NFPs. Don't get me wrong. But for me, it's the startups and the smaller NFPs making sure that they can grow. The, the larger NFPs, like, you know, say, for example, you know, the Smith family, the Salvation Army, Lifeline, they have people in place. They have information in place. They have people they can contact. It's the one-man bands or the, you know, the ones that are growing from, you know, we bought in $100,000 last year. We're looking to grow to a million dollars this year. What do we need to do? Because between $100,000 and a million dollars, you go through three levels of reporting requirements. And a lot of people don't know that. And I just want to, as part of that podcast, I just want to get the information out to people in a mass market. I can sit here and talk to one-on-one and, and help people on a, on a one-on-one basis, which I still love to do and, and I'm you know, here at my clients now, you know, regular watchers will know that the background's a little bit different. I'm sitting at a client's, I'm getting the work done and I'm doing this as well. So we get it done where we are, but it's to, to make sure that the podcast is to get it out to as many people as I can, as quickly as I can as well. You know, it's really about, I suppose, to reinforce that there. It's the idea of you're able to help so much or so many more people with information that previously only the companies with the employee count would have been able to get access to. So it's a really strong medium these days and certainly becoming more adaptable. Yeah, I, I must admit, I was not a big podcast listener up until about three years ago. And then to start doing a bit of research on podcasts that I, you know, I listen to, I'm subscribed to 11 different podcasts. I love it. And it's a good information growth and it helps me grow as a person as well. Like, you know, I listen to church ones. I listen to uh, mental health ones. I listen to, um, you know, men's ones. I listen to personal growth ones. I listen to business growth ones. Like I listen to podcast ones. Like I listen to your podcast, Charlie, that you have the, the, business of podcasting because I'm in that business now. So I listen to that podcast as well and it gets the information out there. And the good thing about it is, oh, well, there's so much in that. I've got to go back and listen to it again. I've got to go back and listen to it again. On a one-on-one conversation, you can't do that. You can't go back and ask questions. Whereas in a podcast, you can go back and listen to it a thousand times and get as much information out as you want. Absolutely. So when we look at your podcast, what are the topics? I mean, you've already covered some. This isn't the first episode. But what are the topics you're really looking to pave ways with? What are the things you want your audience to get out of this show? To get out of this, I want, I want to be able to get the information out to people. I want the, I want the, the podcast, uh, the not-for-profit sector, the people in the sector to be able 
to learn from it. So future episodes and, and what I want to cover off in the future is stuff like, um, you know, the, the differences between zero and my because, you know, I'm an accounting, I'm an accountant slash auditor. I'm a numbers guy. I love my numbers, always have, always will. Um, but like if I can explain to somebody who doesn't like numbers and doesn't know numbers what the difference between zero and myob is, that's a win for me, even if it's one person. But if I can explain that to a 1,000 people, 10,000 people, whatever the number is, then that's a huge win. And they can then make informed decisions based on that so they're not getting stuck in a place where they go, well, this worked now but doesn't work later. A you know, perfect example is I had a client probably three months ago went, we started this not-for-profit probably four years ago and Maya was perfect, but now we just find it's just a little bit clunky for what we want to do. It's like, well, you need to go across to zero or QuickBooks or whatever because of this. And and they're like, well, we can't do it. It's just too hard. It's like, well, let's work through the solution. How we do it? Yes, it's not going to be simple, but it's not unachievable either. And that's what getting this information is about. And that's what I want to cover off on, like, you know, how we can do that. Like, for example, for churches, it would might be like, you know, how to set up fringe benefits for pastors in the different packages, Zero, Mile, QuickBooks, Reckon, whatever they use. We, you know, there's not too much out there I haven't used or haven't had experience with. So to cover off future stuff, I want to just be educational towards the, the accounting stuff because that's my passion and my strength is accounting, but also to look at if people want to know more about how to do stuff with the ACNC or where do I go and get help with, you know, starting an not-for-profit? Where do I go help for getting, raising funds, you know, for a not-for-profit or where do I go? And just get that information out there. Like I know that in Victoria, there's a, there's a really good not-for-profit law firm that deals with just for not-for-profits. So they have great webinars and stuff. So I'm going to get them on in the future and have a chat to them. And, and that way they can get their information out as well. Sensational. Just to touch on that, are the rules for non-for-profits different in the different states, or is this a federal thing? It depends. Um, it depends who you register, and this is the and this is the, the factor. Like, say for example, you're registered uh, a proprietary limited company, and you register with ASIC, and you can operate in any state in Australia. But if you're uh, a, an association registered in Queensland, you can operate in most in most parts of Australia, but you are bound by Queensland laws. So you have to report by Queensland laws, even if you do some things in New South Wales, Victoria and vice versa, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, everywhere. It's you depending on where, how you set up. And again, when a a part of my podcast, I want to actually go into each state and go, Hey, look, this is how you set up and this is what you do and teach people to look beyond the next six months that, you know, I'm thinking about that and, you know, you and I have had this conversation. I'm thinking about the next five years. Where can I take my business from now to one year, two years, three years, five years? I want not for proctors to think that big. I want to think five or 10 years. How are we going to set up? How big do you want to be? And then and achieve those goals. This is one of the things where it's like being you've had so much experience, particularly in the um, financial side the nonprofit space. I can only imagine just how many nuances and little finer details even between the states um, and what kind of impact that could have. I actually think that's a really good idea for a future episode as a hint. Uh, is saying like breaking <laughs> down the difference between the states I think could be really valuable for the people who listen to this show. But in your experience when you look at that and what you've seen in your 18 years of experience here, is there any common things that catch people up with the financial side of the nonprofit space? Yeah, there's some basic stuff like, you know, the three biggest things that I find are common amongst all my clients, particularly in the startup and, and smaller areas are accounting. Like a lot of people just don't put the amount of effort into accounting that they should. So it is getting more and more 
regulated and more and more reporting. If you're using a Word document and a spreadsheet, it's not going to cut the mustard anymore. It just won't. So the, the thing is, is like, you know, there is cheap programs out there like zero you can get for as a non-for-profit, you can get the basic one for $25 a month. Don't quote me on these. In future years, this is current as at today's recording. Um, Check the prices on the website. We're not quoting their prices. It's a reason. No, that's it. Like, but yeah, people think that accounting packages are outrageous. You can't reach them. Yeah, if you're looking at a big entity that's going to have five employees or 10 employees, yeah, you're going to pay six, $700 a year, but you're going to have the money to make that, to make it, to pay that. If you're starting out small, start out small. Like, you know, the QuickBooks Online is a, not a bad program. I have a few clients that use it. It's $15 a month for $150, you know, $165, $170, whatever it is a, a year. It's not much, but you're compliant. You can, you can report to ACNC when you need to with your balance sheet, profit loss, that sort of thing. So that, that's one of the areas. The other area, the two, second area is reporting and compliance. That's the biggest factor. The compliance side of it now is the biggest area that the government and the ATO are looking at. Are you doing your reporting? Are you doing uh, your you know, tax filing? Are you doing your superannuation payments? Are you doing, and they are coming down on people who are not. There are fines in place if you don't do it. And it's just the same, and it's the same fine for me as a business owner as it is for a not-for-profit. There is no compensation when it comes to fines. If you look at the ACNC website and you look at the fines that are in place for not lodging for two years, they're actually up there. They can hit you with a lot of money if you don't do it properly. They're not there to slap you on the wrist and come down and, you, and make you go financially broke. But if you do the right thing up front, you don't have any problems. And the third thing that I find in this sector is relationships. People are out there doing their thing and I think it's great, but they're doing it solo. They're not building those relationships around what they're doing. There is so much support out there. Like, yeah, even looking on Facebook, not-for-profit groups, community groups in your area, just to get, so you don't feel alone. If you're, get on the not-for-profit podcast Facebook page, I'm happy to chat you on there and, and talk to you about and talk to you through stuff like that. But it's, it's not about being solo. It's not about being alone. Everyone, for me, I find that everyone in this sector is, it, is in it because they love it. They're passionate about it and they're passionate to help people. And you said that earlier, like, you know, you, my passion for this sector is I can't control it because I just love it so much. Um, but don't do it alone because you will burn out. You will burn the candle at both ends. You're doing everything yourself. When there is help out there, and sometimes the help is free, sometimes it comes very, very cheap. So they're the three areas that I find where people will in this sector will fall down. It's really interesting. I find that everyone I've met in the nonprofit space is um, an amazing sense of community and goodwill. Like it's one of the most positive things about this whole industry is just the amount of good people it seems to attract through its intent. Um, and I think it's a fantastic thing to get around, but I, I would certainly second that with like going it alone, super dangerous. Like there's so much good knowledge and people who are out there to help, but I think it's a massive, you're doing yourself a disadvantage and the nonprofit, you're not working with others. But I wondered if we could just go back for a second on that compliance piece, um, because I, I find this, this is across the board. I don't feel like this just relates to um, <laughs> nonprofits at all. Like this is something... For, for me, it really feels like in business that the government's been lenient up to a point, the accountants have been lenient up to a point, but with the massive gains in technology, it's like those days are over. It, it really, really feels like if this might be your final warning shot right now is like, hey, you, you really, really want to get on board with the amazing technology that's available that one will make your life easier, 
but then two is going to make you a uh, com- much easier experience with compliance um, and running a much smoother operation. Yeah, that's true. Like in today's world, like, yeah, look at, look at me. Like, you know, I'm sitting here in Brisbane, you're sitting in Melbourne. Yeah. You and I have been having conversations, you know, for the last 18 months or so via web. I'm having conversations with guys overseas and it's not, Impossible. It's this. It's not the future. It's now, and it's the same with technology, with accounting and compliance. You have to be. You have to be doing it. Like ACNC is the compliance regulator for the not-for-profit sector. So that's if you know the Australian um, Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission is what it's called. But if you're in this sector, you know what the ACNC is. They are. They are there to keep you in line. And like I said before, the regulator is the fees for not doing it right are the same for Lifeline, who is a multi-million dollar organization, and for a church who brings in $100,000. You have the same compliance. They may have more compliance because they're a little bit bigger in different areas, but the, the, the fines for not doing it correctly are the same. And you both have the same access to the same portal, the same log on information. To do it, the fact that you don't get time doesn't matter as a business owner i still have to do you know my bass my my you know and particularly with you know with single touch payroll now it's everyone was this big bad oh it's going to happen it's so easy like it took me four minutes to set mine up in my business i've set up a couple of clients in their businesses 10 minutes set up done click one button and it's finished it's not hard but you are compliant to the law and that's what it's about well i think i think it's getting um, to be much more of an interesting space I really do. Yeah. Just for as some context here, I have a cousin who may or may not work at the tax office. Don't hold me to this. I'm not confirming details here, but um, she may or may not have uh, mentioned the access to the data and how this is going. And I just think it's it's phenomenal what the ATO can see and and what the government can see in general these days. If you of the, the belief that the, the the that the government doesn't know what you're doing, excuse this but pull your head out of the sand because they the data is out there. Like I you know the, I'll give you a perfect example how good their data systems are now. I looked up on carsales.com yesterday to have a quick look at something that I wanted to have a look at. It was not to buy a car or anything like that. I had four ads pop up on Facebook Google and uh, somewhere else, I, four ads today. So therefore, if that's the, and that's just one little search with the ATO, ACNC, ASIC, you are entering that data. You might fill out a form. It might be a paper form. Let's say you're doing your BAS. You know, they put that into a, a, a scanner and they scan it in. They put it on the system and they can compare your PAYG, what you've paid and what you've done, and they can compare that to single touch payroll. And if those dollars don't match they will tell you and they you can be fine for it and they know that information and it's not hard to get it right it's not sometimes it's it just comes down to understanding that's all it is and that's hence the reason for the podcast yeah and i don't want to paint the government as they're out to get us because they're not it's not their intent but i think what's great in this circumstance is like one is it's going to remove dodgy operators so if there are dodgy operators out these types of measures are really going to do things to say hey you know this is not on. And I think that's a great thing. But then the second component is it's also kind of forcing us to level up our own businesses so that we are taking these things seriously so we can get a better result. Like it is some work, obviously you've got to do stuff, but at the same point, it stands to have a huge benefit uh, from there. Yeah. So going into that, Matt, so, you know, we've got a a lot of topics we've covered this far on the podcast. When you look at your most successful non-profits that you've worked with, 
Is there any common traits that you feel are critical to the success and kind of universal across them? There's nothing, uh, there isn't, there isn't. Like every, every non-for-profit is different. So they're looking at a different area. But the one thing that they all do well is systematize their business. So I call a not-for-profit a business because you do have to look at it from a business perspective now. And this is a, a you know, in the profit sector and the knowledge base out there about not-for-profits, I had a client ask me, it's like, oh, but the, a, a not-for-profit can't make money. Well, yeah, they can make a profit, but that profit doesn't go to anyone. That's all it is. So, and, and I was perplexed by that question. But like for going back to your question, it was like people don't realize they have to run their not-for-profit as a business. So I'll use my business example. So, you know, with, with your help over the last 12 months, I have systemized my business to the point where I actually don't need to be involved with it much anymore. That is the end goal for any business and successful NFPs do that well. So if somebody leaves the next person can step in and do their job and there's no downtime, there's no lag time. Yes, you'll have some lag and some learning time and, and bits and pieces, but there's none of this, you know, um, oh, we go two months without a report because the people don't know what they're doing. No, the systems are there. They know what they're doing. They've got them in place and they've got the checks and balances in place. So the treasurer and the board setup is correct. The, you know, they're checking, make sure that they can pay all their bills on time, those sort of things. And it's, it, it comes down to systems within a business, within the, within the sector. If you don't have it in place, you can't make good decisions based on bad information because a, a decision based on bad information is a bad decision because, and it's the same with any business, including my business. If I don't have my systems in place and my reporting in place, I can't say go here. NFP is no different. They have to be able to make good decisions because they might have an opportunity to go this way and they go, well, that's not where we want to go, but they also have their core beliefs down. They are focusing on their core beliefs, the, the successful ones, focus on the core beliefs and don't waver from those. You look at, um, so say for example, the Red Shield Appeal. So run by the Salvation Army, that's just one sector of what they do, but that's the focus. That is what they do. That is what they, and when I was, I did the Red Shield Appeal when I was going through school, it was, this, it was a system set up. They had their, their person, one person for every eight on the streets. So we had a leader, we had a team leader for every eight of us. That was their system and it worked. And we had, you know, I think the area we did, there was 36 of us. So they had whatever, how many leaders and we managed to collect the money and that was multiplied and could be replicated on a larger scale. So therefore, if your system's in place, you can replicate it. So you say, for example, if you've got one admin person who's full-time, the system's in place, you can throw another person in there and you can replicate it quite easily to three or four people. That's what makes us successful. And again, it's not just the NFP, it's for every business, including mine. It's really interesting. There was a couple I picked up there. Like one, I think this is the main one though. I love this. The idea is that, you know, the most successful non-for-profits still treat the business as a business. They don't look at it in another way. And it's like the whole idea that if they do that, they'll actually be able to have a bigger impact and pass something on and I suppose do a lot more good in the bigger scale of things. Yeah, and that's exactly right because if you just go and spend because you want to spend, you, know, you get $100,000 in, that's great, but we want to make this impact and we want to do this. You can spend that $100,000 on doing making the impact or you can send that $80,000 know, $80, on that on, 
getting the same impact and $20,000 somewhere else building another one so and building another area. So therefore, when you get $150,000 in, you have twice or three times the impact for less less than three times the, the income. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about being smart with the finances, being smart with the compliance, being smart with the systems. And it's one of those universal laws. Like I'm a Christian. It's for me. It's fate. It's God. But, but you know, other people have universal laws. You do good things. Good things happen. I like that as a rule. I'm, I'm very favourable that that works. <laughs> it is. It's true. But it's not just again. It's not just NFPs. You do good things in business. Good things happen. But that's that's karma. That's the way it works. That's that's the way the world works. And you know, and everyone has a different term for it. We all use different terms. But it's. It's the way it works. You do good things. And it's not that you can't have impact if you do bad things. It's just your impact is limited. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that a lot. Well, Matt, thank you so much for answering my line of questioning here. Is there anything you want to add to the conversation or anything else from here? No, I think we covered it off all, mate. Like, you know, for me, it's about if anyone has any ideas out there about what they want this podcast to go through, to discuss, to talk about any guests that they want to see on here that we can pick their brains on it, let me know. Drop me a line. Drop me an email. You know, Matt at the not com. Jump on Facebook. Jump on LinkedIn. Uh, we're all those there. Make a comment on the um, whatever you're listening to, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, whatever. Make a comment. And uh, we're, we're happy to get those people on. We'll get and answer those questions and do a podcast on what people want to hear because that's what it's about for me. It's like if you ask me the question, if you, the listener, you personally are thinking about asking a question, I can guarantee there's 100 people out there who have already thought of that question, but either A, too scared to ask or can't find the answer. Yeah, I, I found that to be true in my, even my own show is that when that's happened. So I guess I would say that, you know, if you are thinking of reaching out, please do. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you do connect with Matt because he's got a phenomenal wealth of knowledge and experience here. No, thank you, Charlie. Mate, thank you for doing a little bit of a different interview today. Uh, I really have appreciated you having me on the show. And just from a personal note, appreciate you in my life, mate. You have made a very big difference to me personally, professionally. And uh, yeah, and thank you for, for everything you've done for us. Well, I absolutely appreciate that, man. And likewise, you've made a very big impact on my own life. So thank you. Mm-hmm.